actually did the bottle cap challenge with uh, the guys at the station. Now, we didn't use a water bottle. We used a mayonnaise, mayonnaise jar. And the guy held it. And the guys at the station didn't believe I could do this. And I, I got it on the third try. Every sports fan has an opinion. Well, these are ours. Ours. Welcome to Brock and Pep's Unsportsmanlike Convo. And here are your hosts, Brock Fleming and Pep Cariotti. Good evening, everybody. It's Tuesday, December 8th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Pierre (laughs) is joining me. P-Dog, how are you doing today? I'm all right. Oh, that, yeah. Okay, <laughs> elaborate on your uh, unenthusiastic response. I'm all right. Well, you know, that was a tough loss yesterday. I, I all credit to Washington, though. I'm not taking any like we we didn't run Pittsburgh didn't run the ball well. Uh, they had seven. They they lead the league and drop passes. Pittsburgh another seven drops yesterday. Coach Tomlin is furious. He came out in the media today and he said, um. We're going to find guys who can catch. If you can't catch, next man up. So that's a, I think that's a shot at Deontay Johnson and Eric Ebron, who I like, just lots of drops. So frustrating, but hey, big win for Washington. I'm, a, I'm rooting for them uh, coming out of that NFC joke of an East, but I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for Alex Smith. You've seen pictures of his leg. Oh, I mean, to see I him come. Pepper, so let's not go into too graphic of a detail. It's awful. It looked like, but it, it is. was awful you know and the fact that he almost had it amputated because of all the infections and stuff and for him to come back and play at a pretty good level like he made they made some some big time throws yesterday uh, that mckissick kid played well gibson was hurt early and he was out of the game and i mean you got to hand it to them i give them credit they went out and they won the game after going down 14 zip so all credit to them it was just very frustrating to see an 11 and 0 team uh, come out so flat but uh it is what it is I found there was a, a pivotal moment that I thought that that was going to be indicative of the fact that the Steelers were going to squeak it out was that third and 13 play that was reviewed and looked like he was clearly a good half a yard past the line and they didn't overturn mm-hmm. the ball on the field, which I thought was clearly a first down. Mm-hmm. Thought, okay, you know, the league, you know, again, I'm, I'm skeptic on a lot of those you know, higher decisions, and maybe it's something that they're trying to, you know, get a perfect season, something to be excited about in 2020. Um, but from a Steeler standpoint, a fan standpoint, you know, there are good things to come from a loss. I, you know, you can just look back at the at the New England Patriots 16-0 and season and what happened in the Super Bowl. Sometimes a loss is very important for a team throughout the season to – reestablish, understand what the basics are. So catching footballs, making sure that you're running the right routes, you're not downfield during pass plays, things like that, an opportunity to clean things up and to work on it. If you're just going out there and winning all the time, then sometimes, you know, from a team mentality, you always think it's going to come back and you're just going to be able to pull it out without um, really digging down. So I think there's probably a real good uh, lesson learned from uh, this loss for the Steelers. And I think moving forward, uh, I think the Steelers are going to be a pretty hard team to beat. Yeah, uh, that's that's yeah, good summary. I'd say you know, and like you said, clean up a few things, uh, reestablish the run. They just they couldn't run. They haven't been able to run to save their lives all year. Uh, aside from a couple of big runs by Connor, it's been a really an awful, awful year in the backfield for Pittsburgh. And you know they they've got to stretch the field. Looks like teams have caught on to Claypool. So. You know, he wasn't a factor at all yesterday other than a, a pass interference play. So, it's it, yeah, listen, the Chiefs you are the, the ball. You can't run, you run the ball to set up the pass and open up some lanes and to create some one-on-one matchups for a guy like Claypool. And don't take anything away from Washington's defense. That's their strong suit this whole season. And guys like when you have Chase Young on one side and is it Montez Sweat on the other side? Yeah, yeah. I mean, those two are, uh, from a tandem standpoint, as good as anybody. They played well, and that secondary played well. They were they were opportunistic. A couple of batted balls, and they got the John Bostic with the big interception. So, hey, kudos, hey, yeah, kudos, kudos to Washington. Kudos to how they played. I like them. I like McLaurin. I like the the kid that made a couple. Of, I can't remember his name. He's uh, the other opposite opposite McLaurin. He pl- made some big plays yesterday, and they had um, some drops as well. Like a they had some of drops. Yeah, find it very clean football overall. But um, you're right. These guys, but you know, are there. 
a rescheduled game. I'm not, there's no excuses. And I, it's one of the reasons I like Mike Tomlin so much. No excuses. He's like, look, we're a top tier team. You know, we can't blame it on the fact that we've had four days rest and then it's a Monday night when it was supposed to be a Sunday night. And like he, he owns up and there's no excuses at all. Um, but I mean, that had to be a factor. Four days rest. They're injury plagued. Dupree's gone. Devin Bush is gone. Uh, they had uh, Robert Spillane was out early yesterday. Uh, Hayden's out with a concussion. So like they're starting to lose got big, big time guys. So, you know, it's going to be a tough stretch. It's a war of attrition. So w- I'm interested to see how these number two and number three seeds handle the rest of the year. You know, are they going to rest some guys knowing that they're going to make the playoffs? It's going to be very interesting to see what they do. Well, uh, Tomlin doesn't need to make excuses because apparently his fan base makes it for him. So continue. With- <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Next. Next. Ah. All right. We're, uh, are we doing the, uh, sponsorship right now? No, I just want to actually, before we do that, before Whoops. we <laughs> Mikey is on the ball. All right. Sorry, bud. I just, I just wanted to be two seconds. I wanted your opinion on, the uh, you know the good news about a vaccine that's been rolling out. Uh, some people in uh, the UK were the first to receive it today. They called it V Day, which I thought was re- it's really cool and it's exciting. And you know, yay science! Like yay science! You know, they're they're saving us. They're saving the world, man. And I gotta tell you, it's an exciting. <laughs> it's an exciting time, you know. So it, from a sports perspective. Let's say we roll out in Canada, maybe North America. Let's just use North America. We roll out vaccines, mass inoculations by March, April. Do you think sports will get back to normal sometime in 2021 and normal being full stadiums, full seasons? Um, that's a good question. Optimistically, yes. Um, you know, we were going to talk about, I don't know, I thought this was going to be part of the headline thing later because I had a serious question when it comes to the vaccine and the state of sports and where they go in 2021 and in order to get back to normal, quote unquote, if this vaccine, when, it, when this vaccine comes out and is, um, you know, uh, open and, and available to everybody, I guess, is there a chance that the professional sports organizations leagues associations make it mandatory for their players to be vaccinated in order to play and participate and if so is that right and would any players like hold out from that to say you know no i'm not getting vaccinated but if say the nba says you know what we're going on with this everybody every player needs to be vaccinated in order to participate that's how we're going to keep it going can they do that? Should they do that? That's an ethical question. I mean, it, it's, it's the same thing with, you know, t, uh, these guys, you know, you're waiting for an MRI for nine months. You can't go to work. These guys get MRIs within 24 hours. We're not talking about the same thing necessarily, but along as, along those lines of is it is it fair, is it ethical that these guys get an MRI overnight and uh, someone who uh, who is missing nine months of work and is on long-term disability has to wait nine or ten months? It's interesting. Um I will say probably not. I think what will happen is anybody who's a vulnerable, high risk, they're going to get the vaccine first. And those are simply, I mean, frontline workers are number one. So anybody who works in healthcare, if you're in a hospital or you're in a long-term care home, you're number one. You're getting it first. And that really protects most of society because they're the ones that we can't afford for them to go down. Like if we lose our healthcare workers, that's when the pandemonium starts. So I think, I don't think, our, our society realized that. So I think athletes will be sort of second tier, third tier guys. You know, they're low risk in terms of like uh, suffering from COVID or even dying from COVID. They're really low risk. So that's why I think maybe not 20. I don't think 2020 we're going to see a normal full season. We're not going to see one in hockey. We're not going to see one in basketball. Baseball, maybe April. I don't even know. I don't even think it's it's supposed to be a full season necessarily either. Based right. On what I was reading, but um, I think it, you know, my question was more along the lines of, you know, the rich, the, where there's a lot of money, obviously the vaccine is being made, not at the goodness of this company's own heart, mm-hmm. or, but there's a lot of funding involved. There's a lot of, um, money to be made from a vaccine. That's why mm-hmm. the race was so quick. Um, and these professional sports organizations have money to burn mm-hmm. most likely. And so that's why I was kind of wondering if they would go that route. 
Anyway. Good question. Well, we can we can come back to that later on headlines. It's a good question. Now are we going to <laughs> yes, guy. Look at him. Look how he looks he looks more handsome every week, does he not? Look at him. Look at him. And you're wondering who that is? That's Ken Tripp, a buddy of ours who is in real estate. And if you're looking to invest in real estate and you don't know where to start, Ken is an experienced investor and can show you the way. Message at Ken Trip Real Estate on Instagram today. Ken, hope you're listening, buddy. We miss you and I hope you're well. And thanks for sponsoring our show for the entire month it's been, right? Yeah, that's right. Sorry, yeah. I was adjusting my mic. I was getting a note. Same <laughs> no mic. problem. Well, oh, look at that suit. That suit must have cost him a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Ken Tripp for your real estate. That's it. Throws me for a loop because I usually do the first one. Then this time I'll do the second one. My bad. All right. Let's get into our guest of the day. So, Great you talked about the importance of the frontline workers, the frontline healthcare workers. Well, we got a frontline worker in the form of a firefighter with us today. He's an Ottawa U alumni. <clears throat> He's an Ottawa U Hall of Fame inductee. Let's just put that into perspective because I've been begging to get on that car, but I can't. Uh, he's a CFL alum. from He uh, played from 96 to 2005 for five different teams, Montreal, BC, Winnipeg, Ottawa, and Saskatchewan. We'll talk about that later. Woo! Buffalo Bills camp. He's currently a father, a husband, a firefighter, and a coach, and he owns – uh, the elite long snapping uh, .ca, I guess. I don't think it's an academy necessarily. Uh, one of the best long snappers to ever do it. Uh, and most importantly, he's actually a Canadian Football Institute Alliance member. That's big time. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit for the last part, but let's welcome in Steve Glenn to the show. Steve, how you doing, buddy? Good, thank you. I'm glad I made it to the top of CFI. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks for including me. Hey, thanks for, uh, for, for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Obviously, I personally thank you for all the work you've been doing with CFI as one of our Alliance members. Um, for those who don't know, we've, we have teamed up with uh, the best of the best in the area. And, and Steve has been uh, our linebacker and long snapper guy since uh, for a couple of years now. And um, what you do with kids uh, on the field and, and the way you can connect with them and get them to do things is amazing. It, the positive feedback is ridiculous. So if anybody's looking to learn from, uh, again, from one of the best linebacker, long snapper, it's Steve Glenn. So either elite long snapping.ca or come out to CFI and get to work with them. But Steve's a, Steve's a, a gem in the Ottawa football community. And uh, we've been very fortunate to have uh, the opportunity to work with him. Oh, thanks, Brock. Yeah, it's been great working with you guys. A lot of like-minded individuals, and uh, it's been great fun. It uh, brings me a lot of joy to go go to those camps and uh, coach the kids up. It's been a lot of good, a lot of fun. Well, uh, I think I'm done pumping your tires for now. But <laughs> hang on, let me. Can I no, pump his tire? Oh, yeah, I, I got on. one thing. I got one thing. The last, the second to last uh, CFI camp that we just had in November. You stood forward. Football forward, sorry, football forward, football sorry. Forward, yeah. I, uh, I, my kids had moved on to the next station, and I just turned away for a second. And when I came back, I saw you, uh, I saw you long snapping from. Well, it looked like it was about twenty yards from the goalpost, and you nailed the goalpost dead on twice in a row. Um, and I'm like, he's for sure a long snapper. <laughs> I didn't know that you were a long, a long snapper. I, I, um, so I was like, wow, that was pretty incredible, and it had pace. Yeah, Actually, that was pretty incredible. That was uh, actually part of my uh, warm-up routine that I did before every game where I would go start at uh, the five-yard line. So the posts are set back about two yards, the main post there. So I would snap from five, do 10 of those. Then I move up to the 10-yard line. So it was about a 12-yard snap, and I put a piece of tape on the on the post itself, and that was my target. And I tried to just hit, make sure I am hitting the post, make sure that I'm locked in where I want the ball to go and stuff. Uh, but, yeah, that was part of my pregame routine, and – I like to uh, take the rust off the wheels every once in a while and uh, grab a football and go and snap and still do it. It's the uh, 30, 40 yard cover down the field that uh, I don't think my body could do anymore, but the snapping part I still got. And now it's party tricks. You're lucky he didn't take you for money because sometimes he bets people that he couldn't do it and people say, no, there's no chance. And he nails it. Yeah. Nails it. There have been a few bets. Yeah. I actually did the bottle cap challenge with, uh, the guys at the station. Now we didn't use a water bottle. We use a mayonnaise mayonnaise jar, 
and the guy held it and the guys at the station didn't believe I could do this. And I, I got it on the third try. Really? I would have had it on the first, but the lid was too tight. So it didn't spin off. The second time I hit the mayonnaise jar all over, it sprayed mayonnaise all over the guy holding it, which is quite good. <laughs> then I got it on the third shot. So you get that on tape? Yes, I have it on my phone. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, you're gonna have to share that with me later, or otherwise it didn't Absolutely. happen. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're gonna go really quickly through your uh, your college career. I mean, it speaks for itself. There's a reason you're in the Hall of Fame with the the GGS. Um, you know, it was CIS, now it's U Sports. But, I mean, you led the team in tackles in both 92 and 94, and you led the entire conference, the Ontario-Quebec conference, in 1992. And for those who don't know, it's split up now. So there's only the Quebec mm-hmm. and then there's the OUA. But back then, it was combined. So that means you guys were playing some of the best teams from uh, both provinces. Um, yeah. 92 was probably one of your best seasons. You won the team MVP, which as a linebacker is not easy to do. If you're not a quarterback or a running yes. back yeah. or like a sexy left tackle, like it's tough to be an MVP, <laughs> but you did win the linebacker, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, amazing. That's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Without you know, no flashy tackle. stats, just going out and doing my job, which is the, uh, see that guy with the ball, go get him kind of thing. And that's, that's what I, I profess to doing pretty well from sideline to sideline, uh, going to tackle people with the ball. How did you end up at Ottawa U anyway? Um, actually, being recruited out of high school, I had a lot of interest from out east, and I actually did a tour out there, and I was pretty much pointing and going to the east coast. And uh, then Jim Daly gave, us, uh, gave me a call one day, and uh, I went and met with him, had lunch at the cafeteria, delicious lunch. And uh, we walked around, and part of the discussion was uh, the f- all the graduating linebackers are all fifth-year guys. So they had some third-year players who were obviously still there in the mix, but basically kind of the linebacking position was almost up for grabs in training camp. So I thought, kind of looked at it and said, maybe this would be my best opportunity to play kind of right away. And uh, I ended up winning the starting job within a week of uh, going to my first uh, – CIU or yeah, CIU. That's what it was then. Uh, oh, training right, camp. Right. So, yeah. Before CIS. Oh my goodness. Let's not get into yeah. your age, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. We'll get that one yeah. yeah. Start, starting to feel a little old now talking to kids and I'm throwing out names that they don't. No idea. No idea. Yeah. Hey, you've again, from a, a way of connecting with the today's players, they may not know the names you're saying, but you can connect with them very well. Yeah. Um, so you had 290 career tackles with the GGs. I'm sure you're aware of that. I think that was your tattoo that you got, a eh? 290? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to do some research when I found out I was the second leading tackler in the GGs history. Who's number one? We'll find it. Uh, it's Gord Weber. Good old Gord, the linebacker before me. Hang, hang on, yeah. hang on. Let, let's do some quick math. So 290 career tackles in, uh, yeah. how, in a span of how many years? Eight games five seasons now my last my fourth year i injured myself so i only played half the season which i would have beat gordy if i had that full year i'm sure of it what so does he have as number one do you know i can't remember it's like 20 tackles more than me or something like that maybe a few more so 290 tackles in in 36 games eight uh, times 432 yeah. plus another hat that is unreal are you doing the math? Yeah. give us the average there you, yeah you do the math i'm not doing yeah, it you you guys keep going. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure that out. Hang on. Need, All right, background fact checking. Fact checker. Yeah. Ford Weber. All fact right, checker. Ford Weber. I was wondering who was number one. I I couldn't uh, search it up and figure out who that was. He's yeah. got quite the job. For those who don't know Ottawa U football and don't know who Gord Weber, other than the fact that he does these. Uh, special photography sessions now that's all over Facebook. He seems to be loving his job. Anyway, for that, uh, and he's fortunate that you got uh, injured and didn't break his his record. Um, you were uh, three time all conference. Were you all Canadian? Yeah, I was not. My fourth year, I was going into that year's projected all Canadian, and I had a uh, rolled my ankle. Well, actually, somebody fell on it and uh, had one of those high ankle sprains that. I couldn't plant or cut, so all I could do was snap for that last half of the year. That was uh, that was tough for me. That was the first time I ever faced adversity like that, and uh, it was a, it was a tough uh, last half of the year. And I tried to come back to the playoff game, wasn't a hundred percent, and it even 
went into, I'd say it even lasted long enough when I went to the CFL combine that winter, I wasn't hundred percent and didn't test very well. And that uh, hurt my opportunities there. I'm surprised you weren't one in 92 though, given those stats and, and leading the conference and tackles, how were you not a, 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 an all Canadian that year? Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't know that stuff kind of, I never worried about any of that. If that was just an extra bonus, if you know, the individual awards came along, I didn't, I didn't count my tackles. I didn't care. Like I said, I just, this year I found out how many tackles I made over, you know, what was that? 30 years ago. Um, so you found that uh, out I, while you were preparing your hall of fame acceptance speech. Yeah. So. Which I still have to finish by the way, cause it's been delayed a little bit. <laughs> but, that's all right. It gives you time to clean it up if you want. That's right. Uh, yeah. So if you're not all Canadian, then you didn't have any all Canadian rings, which you and I are both in the same boat because they stopped giving rings when I became all Canadian. So oh, is that right? Or oh yeah, very subject to say the least for a few of us. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I can imagine. So it's all about the bling, man. Right. Yeah, get them. If you don't have the ring, yeah. it never happened. Anyway, add that to the That's Christmas right. list, Brock. I'm gonna add that to your your Christmas list here. <laughs> all Canadian <laughs> ring. One ring. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you wore number fifty eight with Ottawa. You uh, yes. were you aware at the time of the pressure that you were going to put on future GGs who wore that number? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. I no. actually got a story, a similar thing with my high school jersey, where my coach kind of semi retired it apparently for a year or two. Then one of my friend's brothers were playing, and he asked to wear my number, and he was sat down and said, now this jersey comes with a lot of weight behind it, so you're ready to shoulder that. He did, so he was ready for it. Ah, that's good. Hey, 58's uh, a great number as a linebacker, <coughs> Jack Carl Lambert. Banks. Oh, okay, Jack. Eric Thomas. Carl Banks. Carl Banks, Derek yeah. Thomas. Yeah. It's a great – it's a yeah. great – Number for left tackle too. Let's just leave it. Okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Although I'm the size of left tackle now, I wasn't then. <laughs> yeah, and actually, my jerseys would have been a lot bigger, probably. Um, <laughs> so I, I talked to you briefly about this before we started, but uh, when I was going through the dates, uh, the dates of when you actually left Ottawa U and when you started your CFL career, there's a bit of a gap there, and you were yeah. kind of talking about that. So, what was the gap from? Well, I after my Going back to fifth year at Ottawa U, I, I, like I kind of mentioned, I was injured going into my draft year and I didn't perform very well. So my, my stock plummeted and didn't end up getting drafted. I thought I told I was predicted to go kind of low first round kind of thing and it just didn't materialize. So I went back to my fifth year. And then, um, funny enough, after that season was done, uh, it's funny, it's kind of a lot of who you know, right place at the right time. Uh, Jim Daly, who was the coach who recruited me at Ottawa U, was the coach in Saskatchewan. And so they, um, they, he talked to the team about signing me. So I worked out with Dan Rambo over at the RA center and uh, ended up signing a contract with Dan Rambo and Blackburn Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I ended up going to that camp in 95 and I ended up getting released, Um, you know, rookie going in wide eyed, naive. And I just, um, I, didn't perform as well as I should have, and uh, maybe a little, putting a little too much pressure on myself. I don't know, and ended up getting released. And so I came back home, went back to working at the pool, and then end up in that off season, ended up getting re-signed by Saskatchewan, and that's when it ended up getting traded to Montreal. My first, you know, my second camp, and that's when it kind of started in '96. Nice, Dan Rambo. So he was with Saskatchewan, Dan Rambo, at that point. Yeah, he was the, I believe he was the GM at the time. Okay. Because, yeah, yeah, when I uh, talked to him, he was with the Broncos at the time. He was like a scout for yeah. the Broncos up here. That's right. That's how I met him. Um, okay, so fast forward to your CFL career. You've played yeah. for over 50% of the organizations in the league, yep. which is impressive on itself. Um, do you have a favorite? Like, which one would have been your favorite to play for? Everybody asked that question. And, uh, I mean, we're not it, I'd have to say Ottawa. I mean, it's my hometown. And to have the opportunity to play for your hometown team that you grew up watching as a kid. My grandfather played with the Rough Riders back in the, I think it was the, just the end of the mid-late 40s after wow. the Argonauts. When he, Yeah. So to have that connection there, I remember being super excited and jacked up going out for the day before practice, before our first exhibition game, walking out to the field as a professional football player. I remember just being 
just amped up. I thought it was great. But each team has its own special place, right, in your heart. But I, I probably have to say Ottawa is my ultimate favorite, even though we didn't do so well. Well, yeah, let's yeah. not go to the uh, – Yeah, we won't go there. That's a long enough story. That's, But it must have been pretty cool having all your family be able to show up for all the games and yeah. really – Oh, yeah. Great. They're huge supporters and to have them there. Through the good and the bad was just fantastic, you know. Wife, my wife and my kids being able to come to the training camp at Kempville and and still be close to them, at the, it was really good. Oh, that's yeah, that's amazing. If you, yeah, the fact that yeah, because your son's old enough that definitely would have been around and your daughter. Yeah, he was he yeah. was one or two there, uh, two, yeah, two two years old or something. He doesn't remember it, but uh, we have a picture of him at training camp. And I mean, I, I attribute my wife to being a bit of a, like an army wife, where I would leave for football season for six or seven months. And then come back and uh, had to, you know, hey, I'm your husband kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, she was a trooper through most of my career. And then when it came time to play, be able to play at home, that was just, that was fantastic for all of us. Yeah, oh, that's perfect timing then too, if you had the young family as well. Yeah. Um, circling back, actually, something you said uh, for your last season, we were talking about your tackles. You said uh, you got hurt and you were just long snapping. Yeah, and my fourth year, yeah. Your fourth year. So yeah. do you actually look back on that and say, that might've been a blessing because would you have been as good a long snapper if that injury didn't happen? Uh, I, I think, I think, yes, I, I, that wouldn't, it just, I couldn't play linebacker. That was it. It was the only difference. Like back then linebacker was the, the focus and I happened to be the team's long snapper. And that was kind of secondary, not that it pushed it to the forefront, but it's what I did. And I've, ever since day one, um, I took a lot of pride when I won that, when I figured it out first, and then I won that job too. I took a lot of pride in that and that extended all the way through my pro careers, even to today. Did anybody like, was anybody responsible for you having interests in long snapper? Long snapper is not something a kid usually wants to play, but the no. older guys, like when we've gone through it and we say, Hey, if you've been to any pro camps and stuff like that, you're like, kickers have a lot of pressure. You know, a third string quarterback with a clipboard is a very nice gig, but a long mm-hmm. snapper is pretty good too. And I was like, oh, yeah. you know, everybody says, look, if you're big, if you can learn a long snap, you're basically creating your own meal ticket. Yeah. And there, there, there's been a, a big change in that philosophy from when I was kind of even first getting into the CFL. So 95, 96, there was a transition there where they were still using offensive linemen because they usually snap. Right. So they just put them on the a punt team and let them snap. And, but they're not great cover guys. So, I kind of pride myself a little bit too that we were, I was in that transition where they started putting linebacker bodies as the long snappers and teams just from past history would leave the long snappers alone, wouldn't hit us. So we were able to run free down the field and we would, you know, uh, there's a couple of us like Roger Reinson and um, uh, Randy Shorjenski in Toronto. We were the first kind of first three and uh, we would be making tackles all over the place. And all of a sudden teams had to adjust and cover us up, you know, but as far as who got me snapping, it was actually my first year at Ottawa U. I think day two of training camp, Don Smith walks over. Uh, he snapped in the Canadian Football League for many years. Love that. And he said, yeah. He, uh, he said, hey, you want to help yourself as a Canadian linebacker, make it to the next level? Come here and learn how to do this. And I dabbled in it, like one-handed back in high school a little bit. And he started showing me the two-handed technique. And I think it took – two days, day and a half, maybe kind of before and after each practice. And all of a sudden poof, there it was, it was like, Ooh, okay. And that's where it started. Well, Hey, uh, Don Smith had the right advice. Cause that, uh, I mean, that proved yeah. to be great. So you had, again, a very extensive CFL career. Now I'm going to ask you something that's a little bit off of the, the, the board, just in terms sure. of the current state of the CFL and, yeah covid affecting it so not having any season in 2020 threats of possibly not having a full season or even a season in 2021 necessarily there's no real commitment i don't think yet Mm -hmm. uh, officially i mean i think they started working on their schedule but let's say they don't have a season in 2021 from a guy who's you know gone through many organizations where do you think the state of the cfl would be can they survive another another year without a season uh, that's a great question. And kind of like your, the, the COVID talk earlier, like I just don't really know. I mean, the, the CFL is so dependent on P 
people in the seats to, to make their money. There's no huge TV revenue coming in like the NFL has. Um, they need people sitting in those seats paying for tickets to make their money. And if, you know, the government doesn't come in and help, like they, I know they asked for money this year and they were denied, uh, then, the, you know, the CFL potentially could be in, in a world of hurt, whether they'll be able to recover and come back in the same form that it is right now or, or was last year. Yeah. I don't know. You know, we all hope so, of course. Like, we really wanted to go there and I, to be able to go to the games and enjoy them and be and it's such a part of the community that I really hope they can come back. Well, I think, yeah, that sentiment is the same for both Pep and I. We love going to watch games and, and, and be in that area, that atmosphere. But I think you're, you're spot on. It's really it's going to be challenging for the CFL moving forward. I mean, the TV yeah. rights, I think I read it was for the NFL, the TV rights are $1.5 billion and CFL is $50 yeah. million, which is shared amongst teams. So, yes. you know, whatever that works out to be, like $4 million a piece or something, which isn't no. a lot when it comes to no. – you know, ha- and running a professional sports team, even at the salary levels that the CFL guys have. Yeah. Um, so, again, Pierre, interrupt me if you have something. I'm just kind of getting on. With no, 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 dude. Do you if have something? By all means, uh, give me the old uh, nose tap <laughs> there, and I'll stop talking. Uh, but Steve, okay, so you went CFL, you know, and basically yeah. every most CFL players have a dream to go to the NFL and you had an opportunity to go down and try out with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. One of the, I think it was, I'm trying to remember it was either, I think it was 2001 is either that or 2000 where I was working with a, an agent to try and uh, to pursue any NFL interest. And there, there was a lot of talk with some teams and then I uh, ended up getting just, it wasn't a training camp, but I got to work out with the bills in the off season. So I got to go down. Uh, I knew there was going to be another couple long snappers down there, uh, along with some kickers. So it was just kind of a specialist sort of tryout. Uh, that was uh, quite a quite a fun experience. Uh, got to go down to Richard. We didn't do it in the stadium itself. And there, I don't even know what their practice facility is called, if it has a name, but it looks like Arcado Castle. The whole indoor facility, massive. Apples and oranges, money-wise, NFL, CFL. Walking into that place was just like, wow, this is impressive. This is big time. That's but, the one right uh, next to the stadium, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what their indoor training facility is, and all their fac- yeah, it was uh, quite a quite an interesting experience. Flew me How down. So it ended up being kind of two days. They flew me down, and then the next day we went into the facility and uh, did an afternoon kind of workout, snap for a bunch of kickers and holders, and uh, yeah. Fortunately, nothing panned out there, but uh, yeah, it was yeah. a good experience. Who was like different snapping uh, an NFL ball? Yeah, I was going to ask you the differences between it, but I mean, I find the CFL ball has gotten smaller over time to be a little yes. bit to the NFL, but at the time they were still were they the, the big fat J five E's? The J five E's was a big blips. So yeah, it was still still that still that ball, and then very right after that it was actually here in, in Ottawa, and we we're out, a couple of us just doing some workouts preseason stuff and. Uh, Somebody asked me if I'd seen the new football. I mean, what do you mean the new football? Well, they shrunk it down. They changed the laces. And I was like, what? Well, I, I need to get my hands on one of these to, I'm snapping the ball. So yeah, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it definitely was a different snap. The NFL ball. It's a little narrower in the middle. So it was a different feel. They don't have the, the colored, uh, the colored uh, rings around the ball. So my, you know, my landmark was a little bit different and, so I had to adjust a little bit kind of on the fly there. Whether that affected me that much or not, I'm not sure, but uh, it was it definitely was a fun learning experience. You know, you know the effort you put into learning it, and once you sort of figure it out, it, it becomes a, a, a routine and a, yes. um, a habit of your body to figure that out. And when you start adding different equipment, for lack right. of a better term, it's, yep. uh, you know, that little thing. Hey, I picked up golf, so I understand that every little thing – that you change will affect your game and you have to yep. readjust. So exactly. Uh, it's funny when you talk about teaching long snapping, I refer a lot to kind of a golf swing about having a similar setup, a similar pre-shot routine. You want to call it that as you set up to snap the football, you go through the same, same setup every single time. That way, you know, you're, you're ready to go and in the right position. 
Well, I don't know if I knew that or if I overheard you saying that to somebody else in training, but either way. A pearl of wisdom you picked up somewhere. (laughs) That's right. Um, All right, Pierre, other than giggling about the size of balls, do you have uh, something you wanted to (laughs) ask him? I had a couple things I wanted to ask him, actually. More along the lines of, like, uh, you know, Injury when it comes to special teams and mm-hmm. uh, the NFL in specific has really uh, changed the rules, kick, especially with kickoffs, uh, mm-hmm. to make it safer. Uh, statistics were showing over the years that the, the major injuries, like the, some of the some of the paralysis, uh, these major type like neck injuries, were happening on special teams. Mm-hmm. What what has the NFL and the, or the CFL done over the years that has changed since you played? to make the game safer. Like uh, we, we talk about crackback hits and whatnot. Some of these things that they've taken out, ha- has the game yeah. changed in that regard since you played? Yeah, I think so. When you're, when you're coaching kids these days, there's all the same new safe tackling uh, rules that are out there. The old, uh, you know, the, the, the crackback blocks, but you know, when you're on punt return, you got that one guy running down a punt team and he's just eyeballing the returner and the return starts coming towards you. You're not allowed to hit that guy unless you can see his face now. Right? You can't hit him from the side uh, where it used to be, you know, that, that was the dream hit, right? You line somebody and just ear roll him. can't do that anymore. Uh, and, you know, the changes to the rules with the kickoff cover, not letting the guys take that 10-yard run up. And uh, they've moved it forward a little bit, so there's not as many returns. You know, I almost think that either they – almost get rid of the kickoff now because it, it almost seems to be we're just giving the ball to 20 yard line you know i don't know why they're still keeping it in there but uh, well, well yeah, that's how i that, feel yeah that, you know especially yeah. with the kickoffs in the nfl they're pointless they i think the the return think so. rate is less than 20 percent. so yeah. uh, the cfl on the other hand uh seems to have the kick game well intact they it's still a big part of the cfl and uh yeah you know, the gizmos of the world, either they're few and far between. But, you know, even up as, as recent as, uh, you know, Deontay Spencer up in Ottawa, he was taking them back in the house. So it was a big part of the CFL game still. Um, yeah. But you're, you're right. I mean, the kickoffs, I mean, I, I don't I barely see anything. NFL specifically. Yes. CFL seems to have kept the, the structure of the game and the integrity of the game. It's very similar. Some of the strategies have changed a little bit, which yeah. leads to my next question for you, actually. I'm um, just going to step real quickly. I think the reason the CFL kicking stuff of that is the no yards um the fact that the halo and catch a punt and have a little halo where they don't worry about getting hit and then you know those guys are breaking down they're not running through unless you're carlton and auto U from circa 19 whatever <laughs> the panda game and for life but, uh, oh, yeah. i was right beside that wow <laughs> were you in yeah, yeah that, that was the 92 panda game yeah that was very scary yeah that was uh we didn't actually i mean personally i, I remember the hit and everybody just kind of stopped and froze. It was like, what was that? And then we kind of scrambled around and found the ball. I didn't know. I knew he got hit hard and I don't, I, no one knew at the time. So the, the coaches and everything who ran up the, the trainers that he was that badly hurt. I knew he was in bad shape just the way he was, but uh, yeah, that was a, that was a pretty bad incident there for sure. But I think too, what plays in, into the CFL game is that the field is so much bigger than the NFL field. So you, you have a little more room. There's a little more space. The guys aren't all crammed into a smaller area. So there's more room to 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 maneuver on, on the CFL field, which I think you're not going to get those necessarily those as many direct straight on downhill hits as you do in the NFL on, the, on their field. Uh, we have a, a question from Facebook, but before we get to that, I just want to talk one more thing. We'll go. We'll, we'll get to Mark. Uh, sorry, Matt Venturelli. Is that, did I pronounce that correctly? Um, we'll get to his question in a second, but uh, I just wanted to touch upon one more thing with the CFL. And the last twelve to fifteen years, the NFL game has changed a lot. Like we're seeing, you know, we rarely see guys under center anymore. It's it's mainly mm-hmm. shotgun. They spread the field. In the CFL, um, passing has always been paramount because of the mm-hmm. three downs. But has the game changed? The last twelve fifteen years, the game has changed. Has the game changed to the point now where, like, we're, we need to see you know, modern day linebackers have to cover with receivers Has the game changed yeah. from a linebackers perspective now than say 12 years ago in the CFL specifically, we know it's changed in the NFL because they, they start off in a nickel defense. They don't even go to their base anymore. It's nickel dime no. right off the bat, but has the CFL game changed from a linebackers perspective today? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It has uh, 
And again, I remember one specific instance out in BC, uh, another Canadian linebacker, Kelly Lockbaum, and I were talking to our linebacker coach at the time. And, you know, both of us are 236 with three, 230 pounds, which at the time, you know, we thought, oh, that's a pretty good size for a middle linebacker. And he says, yeah, the game's changing, fellas. You're too big now. You know, they're looking for those ex- the big DB types, the the six foot four, 210 pound guys who can still run, you know, a four five, a four six forty, who can who can run with receivers and stuff like a Gerald Vaughn is an excellent example of that. That type of body was what they were looking for. Sorry for the younger viewers out there who wouldn't know who GV is, but uh, the guy was a player. That guy. That's um, what Google's for. Hitting machine. Google for yeah. Um, yeah, so that that transition was happening as I was going through it. And yeah, they like the Sam linebackers are just DBs now, and even the middle linebackers in the CFL these days are a lot smaller than we were growing up coming through college. Yeah, uh, so it changed, definitely has changed that way for sure. It actually brings me to a point where I think, uh, from a size perspective, not only does it cater more to the style of game, but I think more guys are getting opportunities who aren't the prototypical size that they used to be. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm dealing with that right now with a kid that's a CFI member and he, you know, just found out he was a big Notre Dame fan, Um, Mm -hmm. sent his stuff, his coach sent his trend, his film and everything like that. He plays in a prep school. He's phenomenal player, phenomenal player, but he, he's only about six feet tall. He plays defensive tackle, the quickest right. out of all, that kind of style. But to see an email from a coach back to his coach saying basically he's out of profile, which means mm. he doesn't fit what we're looking for. Yeah. We're, we're looking for 6'3 and above. We're looking for, you know, 300 pounders yeah. and above, whatever. And I just, yeah. I, I was very surprised that we still have, um, uh, that discrimination, I guess, in terms of a size of player where, we're, we're getting more and more guys have opportunities and they're showing that they can do it. Guys like Aaron Donald, who's only whatever, yeah. six one or something. And you know, uh, the Kyler Murray's the, all that kind of stuff. You figure that those doors are going to be opening for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. to, you know, to, to see that there is still that old school mentality and that, that people are trying to, uh, for sure. find a, a cookie cutter sort of size is, uh, what, one yeah. name for you there, Brock, Jerome Haywood. Actually, Haywood is somebody who, who uh, Donnie Ruiz, Coach Donnie, has reached out to. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's Brandon Weeks's cousin, another guy who works with us with football four and stuff like that. Who should oh, have know that? Than anybody, um, those height issues, and he's actually a uh, D line coach at, uh, I believe it's San Diego State or something to that effect. So anyway, there's been contact okay. because Donnie said if anybody should understand it, it should be him. It's him. Um, guess we'll see in the next little while if he can push it enough to get uh, get this kid an opportunity but mm-hmm. uh, yeah and pat woodcock same idea you know we've had stories yeah. of him on there but he has overheard scouts say that if he was three inches taller or whatever it was he'd be a day one day uh day one kid meaning a first right. or second i think at the time it was first and second on the day one but anyway still that's uh that's life-changing you know? Yeah, yeah, it's too bad that sometimes you just get cut out of the game. You're a quality football player just because you don't fit the mold. They put you in the two doors, they close it. Oh, you don't fit, sorry, you're out. That, you know, you could be losing on a lot of good kids. Um. All right, so we're going to – I don't want to keep you all night there. We're going to start wrapping this up. But if you could go back and would you do anything differently in terms of your playing career? Like if you can go back and talk to the little Steve Glenn – Little Steve Glenn. Yeah, I mean, back in – if we had the opportunities that some of the, that the young guys have now, back when I was playing, you know, things might – not my attitude, but, uh, you know, I probably would have just started being a little bit more uh, – training a little bit earlier maybe. Uh, you know, the first time I ever went into the gym really was after my first year at Ottawa U. Went in with a bunch of guys in the gym, and I had no idea what was going on. And I was really hit and miss. I mean, nowadays guys are training, you know, 365, you know, 365 days a, days a year to prep for the season and stuff. Or, you know, maybe if I had done that, maybe I would have lasted a bit longer, you know, but that could have changed my career, right? Maybe I would have just been a linebacker then and it might have been a shorter career. Who knows? But uh, maybe just trained a little bit more hey, instead of going to training camp to get in shape. I'll probably do that. So last question. 
Yeah. We got it from a viewer. So Matt, uh, uh, what's the last name? Venturelli, I think. Venturelli. Venturelli. One hand snap or two hand? Oh, you got to go two hand. Got to go two hand. It helps you control the ball a little bit more in the in the bad weather. You have that extra guide hand on there, and it helps generate that velocity with the the flick of the wrists. Get the nice tight spiral. One handed. I mean, you can be pretty good at it, but you're not you're not going to be consistent enough. It's, it's got to be a two handed snap. There's no one college level and above who who snaps one handed nowhere. So it's, it's definitely two handed. Best snapper you've ever seen. Last one, not named Steve Glenn. Oh, uh, probably Trey Junkin. Uh, oh yes, one. Trey Junkin. You know Trey Junkin? Yeah, okay. yeah, NFL guy. Oh, yeah, and he snapped for the Arizona for Cardinals for about uh, 19, 20 years. Yeah, he, unfortunately, he ended his career. I mean, that just is consistency. Like JB JP Ladder with the Cowboys right now, yeah. right? Consistent, consistent, consistent. But unfortunately, Trey ended his career on a bad uh, with a low snap on the ground in the uh, NFC final, I think, against San Fran. Uh, back actually when Lawrence Tynes, who kicked here in Ottawa, he was down there. Uh, he put one on the ground, and that's the way he ended his career. So. All right. Well, Steve, we really appreciate you taking time to get on the show. Uh, obviously, from all of us here, we thank you for what you do in real life now as a firefighter in the Ottawa area. Absolutely, yeah. Where's the uh, clapping? Uh, uh, yeah, Where's that's uh, above anything from a playing standpoint. So, again, really appreciate that. But I appreciate what you do on and off the field uh, when it comes to the organizations that, that you and I both support. Um, and can't wait to work with you on the field again. But I really appreciate you taking the time out tonight to, to join us. Hey, man, thanks very much. I appreciate you having me. And Glad love working with you guys, too. It's been, uh, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. Class act. All right. Thank you, Steve. really appreciate it. Thanks, Coach. Okay. B boy, hey, we went. We got a, we got a promo. We got a promo. We got a promo. Do it. We got a promo. That's you, buddy. That's me. That's you. Let's go, Mikey. Overlay, (laughs) give it to me. Real estate. Are you buying? Are you selling or investing in real estate? If you are, whether you're a newbie or you're an expert, you can put your trust in Ken Trip Real Estate. Look at that mug. Tell me that tie. That's a that's a Windsor knot. For sure. Look at that tie. Outstanding. <sighs> I don't even know ties anymore. I know jogging pants. That's what I do work from home. <laughs> right? So are you seriously cutting out college football right now? Well, we have to cut out something because we went long with that great guest. I mean, he is – I love guys' wealth of knowledge, eh? Like, it's just – you know, and we for our listeners, we plan these, we plan these guests to be 25, 30 minutes. Uh, but, if you know, when they're so informative and they provide so much good stuff – how do you pull the plug? So I'm so yeah, glad you took the quick. time. Give me the college. Yeah. I'll keep. You it know quick. what? You uh, so will I. So you, go ahead. Give us. Brock's going to give us his. Uh, could do we, no, let's play the music. We got time. Play the music. We have college music. All right, college football time. American college football. I love it. Uh, okay, real quick, I'm going to go over, obviously, the key games from Week 14. I'm going to talk really fast because we have a little bit of time. Obviously, Florida, number six at Tennessee. Florida wins 31-19. The reason it's important is because I'm a Florida fan, but also Kyle Trapp <laughs> right up there in terms of the Heisman watch. I have him at number one. I'll give you that list in a second. He threw for 433, four touchdowns. He threw, he threw to nine different receivers. And that's incredible. Like one catch here, one catch there. Like these guys were, you know, minimum two to three catches each. That's nine receivers. Kyle Pitts is back, the tight end who, if he didn't get hurt and missed two games, could very well be in the Heisman talk himself. This guy will be a first round draft pick, and he's going to huge. He's huge, but he's fast. He's also long, lean. He's, you know, he's the the next generation of tight end where, you know, okay, I'll use Aaron Hernandez's name. He was kind of in that boat. He's not quite as thick as Hernandez, but uh, he could be a wide receiver. He could be a tight end. This guy is a matchup nightmare, but he had seven catches for 128. To put this into perspective, the leading rusher for Florida was Copeland, who had one rush, which was an end around for 17 yards. They rushed for 21 total yards that game. So, Tennessee pins their ears back. They play coverage the whole time, and Trask is still able to pick them apart. 
Okay, that's why I have Trask number one on my Heisman list. Number two, Mac Jones, Alabama number one at LSU. Normally, it's a marquee matchup, but LSU has not been very good this year. My fear is that they're going to beat Florida next week by them overlooking them, but this huge rivalry was garbage. Alabama beat them 55-17. Mac Jones went uh, 385 yards, four touchdowns, threw to six receivers, but 231 uh, was to Devontae Smith, who is also now creeping up into the Heisman Trophy uh, candidate list. Uh, Guy's amazing. They have ridiculous receivers. But he threw 231 to uh, to Smith, and then the second guy only had 68 yards. So it was very one-sided in terms of who he was throwing to. Um, they also ran the ball for 267 yards as a team. Najee Harris ran for 145 yards and three touchdowns. Which, which hang on, which is impressive on its own to throw to 240 yards to one person. You know, after I'm sure at the half, coaches they're shuffling the defense to. to to overload one side when one guy's killing them, and to still be able to put up those numbers, I got you. Got to give Mac Jones a little credit. I'll give Mac Jones a little bit of credit. I think it's more the fact that their receiving core. So, um, like, you can't just—he's not the only receiver. Um, it's escaped my mind now, but the Canadian who is awesome um, out of uh, the Toronto area. Um, anyway, Curtis will do it. I'm, I'm a brain fart right now, but. Um, again, you put any attention on to Smith, you know, he's going to take it anyway. There's a lot of opportunity there, but also when you're rushing for 270 yards, what do you do? You got to bring an extra guy in the box to try and stop the run. So it frees that up. So, I mean, it's a matchup nightmare for Alabama from Alabama standpoint, because you want to, we'll kill you with the running or we'll kill you with the passing. Uh, Florida didn't really establish any run game. We'll see what happens this week because they'll be playing the same LSU. So hopefully they can establish that anyway. That's my argument as to why I have Kyle Trask above Mac Jones. I think right now they're actually neck and neck in terms of points and votes. Um, Alabama was fueled by that video last year by uh, Coach uh, Coach O. I don't know after Alabama beat after LSU beat Alabama and he had the locker room and the guy the kid had the cell phone. You can hear him in the back. Roll who f you anyway. <laughs> so that's a little bit of fuel for them. Um, Trevor Lawrence, I have him. I mean, he did, he was pedestrian against Virginia tech, but they won 45 to 10. He didn't really need to do anything. Um, the big game that I thought was very interesting was BYU ranked number 13 and number 18, coastal Carolina, the, the, the Chanticleers, Chanticleers, any idea how to say that? Chanticleers. They're, uh, they're the surprise team this year. If anything really epitomizes 2020, it's this game between BYU and, and Coastal Carolina because in a million years what I thought that they would have had playoff uh, implications or even Heisman implications. Uh, Coastal Carolina is uh, Dustin Johnson's alumni, so he's the guy who just won the Masters. Yes. Anyway, uh, this loss by BYU, so they, they lost. Zach Wilson was their quarterback. He was in the Heisman Trophy talk. But I think this pretty much takes him out of it. He went, it was a close game. He needed to sort of step up and, and help his team win. He threw for 240, one touchdown, one interception. Basically, you played yourself out of the Heisman. Very much along the lines I feel Justin Fields did too, although he has time to come back from that. Um, you know, Carolina rushed for a whole bunch of yards, 130 yards, yada, yada, moving on. Um, I'm going to say this is the, the games to watch for week 15. We got Wisconsin at Iowa, 3.30. UNC at Miami at 3.30. Georgia, who's ranked number eight at Missouri at noon. Don't sleep on Mizzou. And then, obviously, the Bama at Arkansas and the LSU at Florida games. Alabama and Florida are already scheduled to meet in the SEC Championship on December 19th. This is very much a trap game scenario and an overlooking scenario. So, Will Alabama or Florida overlook their current competition and look at the 19th championship? My fear is that Florida is going to be the one that does that more so than a save in Alabama team, but hopefully I'm completely wrong. But those are two games to, to watch this, this week. And my Heisman watch right now, I again, I have Kyle Trask at one, Mac Jones at two, Trevor Lawrence at three, and I have Fields at four. And Devontae Smith is, is creeping in at number five. But it's uh, it's tough when your quarterback is in the same conversation uh, as you are, and that's all I got for the NCAA. I made it as quick as I possibly could. Awesome. Well, we'll uh, we're gonna 
we don't have time for headlines, unfortunately, but uh, we will just get right into our top. Uh, we'll spend, we have lots of time to talk hoops. I'll talk uh, college basketball with the boys next week when we have uh, Dave Barbie and Dan Case on. We'll talk about uh, how college basketball is going. They're in full swing. It's all the usual suspects still, you know, the Kansas and the Dukes and the North Carolinas. They'll be uh, they'll be in the conversation right now. They're none of them are. I think none of those three teams are top three, but um, they'll be there. They're young, you know. Kansas in specific, they're they're coming through uh, a transition where some of those guys are now in the NBA. So, but these are, these are great programs, great systems, great coaches. So have no fear. Come to dance. They'll be there. They'll probably I, Duke is the only team that kind of worries me. They're a little younger and um, they they had a early early bad loss in Cameron. So we'll see what happens, but. Uh, we're gonna. We had a couple of headlines. There was nothing too exciting this week in in, uh, in sports, so we're gonna we're gonna skip on the headlines for this week, and we're, we're gonna talk he- only about the new sports that the Olympics have uh, have addressed. But let's talk about those next time. I don't even know if they're real sports. Uh, anyway, oh, skateboarding. Well, I, mean, I saw skateboarding. skateboarding. I saw a couple things. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week when we have a bit more time. Um, our top our top five list. We we flip flop between top five and top ten. Today it's a top five. Is uh, something that we a conversation that we started online this week, um, you know about uh, you know top top five uh, people, guys, uh, athletes, whoever, to never win a championship in any sport, a professional championship that is. So uh, I have my list of five, but I also had a bunch of honorable mentions. So I'll go first, Brock, and then you can finish off. Maybe we'll. I I, I wonder if we have anything in uh, any of the same top five guys. I bet you we have two out of the five that I have. Well, I bet you we have two. a little bit more of a personal standpoint. And just to okay. clarify, uh, for those from Coastal Carolina, uh, I guess I pronounced it wrong. It's actually the 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 Chanticleers, the Chanticleers, Chanticleers. And that's actually a proud and fierce rooster who dominates the barnyard. Thank you to our fact checkers in the back. Lovely. Well, well done, guys. Chanticleer. Five, uh, thing. I, I made it. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Before I give you my top five, I do want to mention some of these honorable mentions. Jerome McGinley, 21 seasons. Tracy McGrady, 16. Randy Moss, 14. Has one opportunity loss to the Giants in the Super Bowl. John Stockton, Bruce Smith, LT, LaDainian Tomlinson, that is. Um, John Hanna, uh, one of the best offensive linemen, like uh, under the radar guys for the New England Patriots, lost to the Bears in, in 85. Um, him and Anthony Munoz. I mean, these guys are you. You guys know all about those guys, right? Offensive linemen, gritty, quiet guys, unsung heroes. Alan Iverson, Dick Butkus, Barry Sanders. Okay, I looked up Dick Butkus. He honorable had a, mentions are half of my list. I know, right? But Dick Butkus had an awful um, uh, record with the Bears. I didn't realize how bad they were. He was. I mean, they didn't. I don't. They don't. They didn't make the playoffs during his tenure. Anyways, my top five list. Here we go. Uh, Barry Bonds is on my top five list. Is he on your list? Negative. Okay. Uh, Twenty-two seasons. He only made it to the World Series once in two thousand two. They lost to Anaheim. Carl the Mailman Malone is on my list. Okay. Again, twenty-two seasons. Uh, lost in the finals to the Bulls twice, and then he, when he joined the Lakers, he lost to the Pistons in two thousand four, and then he called it a career. Carl uh, Malone is on my all-time uh, guys I dislike list. Um, Dan Marino, oh, we have that in common. No, no, wow. Uh, Seventeen years in the loss of the Super Bowl in '84. That's as close as he ever came. Opponents in the playoffs averaged thirty-five points a game against Miami during Marino's career in the playoffs. Thirty-five points a game. So some say you know there was a porous defense. Number two, Charles Barkley. I have a feeling that we have that in common. Um, this was a tough one. You know, 16 seasons. He lost to, to the Bulls in 93. Uh, his Rockets in 97 came this close to making the championships. John Stockton hit a three to win it. Um, they had Elijah on Barkley and Drexler. That was their last hurrah together, and that was that. And then my number one, Tony Gwynn. Uh, I'm not sure if you have him on your list, uh, top five. No. 20 seasons, made it to the World Series in 84 and 98. So 14 years apart. Uh, in 98, he hit 500 during the World Series, but they got swept by the Yanks. So there's my top five list of okay. pro athletes to never win the championship. I can respect that. That's uh, that's not a bad list. Uh, okay, let's hear yours. This is your honorable mention list, essentially. Um, <laughs> I sort of went with the flavor, like, hey, these are guys that I grew up 
idolizing, loving, watching, hoping they would win a championship um, and didn't. So there is a, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that they're the best here and there. No, but um, hey, this is my list. So number five, I got Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, he's on my he list. He was, uh, you know, he was my baseball idol growing up when I started playing baseball. I emulated my swing around him. You know, he was one of the guys. Number four, Anthony Munoz. He was on your honorable mention one uh, list. You know, again, a couple Super Bowl appearances, no wins. It's a Bengals team. And number three, a heartbreaker. I could have chosen, you know, the whole team probably, uh, but I chose uh, <laughs> of the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, um, he was probably position wise one of the best players at his position, um, and again, I, I can go through a list of of the whole Buffalo Bills from ninety to ninety four, whatever it was. Um, All time sack leader, no? Bruce Smith, I believe so. He might be still. Strahan broke the single season record, but I don't think he. I think Bruce has the all time record. Yeah, as an asterisk on that, that's the one that fired yeah. made an egg, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Number two. You know, I get asked this question, or not, I, I get asked this question a lot. People say, oh, if you were to start a football team with one receiver, who would it be? Yeah. Uh, Jerry Rice, Tim Brown, uh, Isaac Bruce, uh, Randy Moss. Yeah. Randy Moss is my guy, Randy Moss. I have him at number two. Okay. And then obviously number one is Sir Charles Barkley, <laughs> um, best known for his time with the Phoenix Suns. That was the funnest to watch. For sure. Um, but also there was a he was kind of the fuel to the spark of my dislike of MJ. So as soon as uh I already had it, you know, multiple times. I didn't like that, you know, again, I have my issues with MJ, but to have Charles get to the final and then lose basically just sealed the deal. I was mm. never gonna be an MJ supporter. You know, I had uh, Bruce, uh, sorry, I had Ken Griffey Jr. on in my top five originally, but I took him out. And the reason why I did a little bit of research on him, he uh, his first 10 years with Seattle was all world. And, you know, had he played his rest of his career like that and with Seattle, I mean, he might be the all-time greatest athlete ever. But mm. he had, he was awful in Cincinnati. They only made the playoffs once. And he was, he was not the same player when he got to Cincinnati. I don't know if he got hurt. The field, the, the weather, the who knows, playing, playing in the kingdom for all those years, you know, and the, the inclement weather was not an issue, but he was bad in Cincinnati. So um, that's why I left him off. But I mean, 22 years is 22 years. I don't care who you are. That's a great career. So interesting. Now, to clarify, Bruce Smith is number one in sack Woo! 200, and Reggie White is number two with a Bruce. one. But Reggie White has won a championship, so he is not on that. List. When I think of Reggie White, I think of that Super Bowl against the Patriots where he just forearmed the guy, the the left tackle for the for the Patriots, and with one arm he clubbed him over, and it was just like, wow, this guy has crazy strength. Yeah, rest in peace. Stories about uh, Reggie White. All right, that brings us to a close on this episode, this week's episode. Again, thank you to uh, Steve Glenn for joining us. Our interviews go long. I don't know what it is. It just we have questions, and then all of a sudden it rolls in another one. But this is Steve Steve's pick for our exit song. He chose Queen, a kind of magic. And we're going to go out to this. We're going to get somebody younger on the show next time to bring something more current. <laughs> have a good week, everybody. Yeah, get watch the game tonight. Dallas and Baltimore. Watch Neville Gallimore. Uh, Eli Anku and Crawford, three Canadians on the defensive line of the uh, struggling Dallas Cowboys, but that's not to, to that's not to do with their defensive front. Uh, those guys are still playing pretty well. I'm cheering for them tonight.
Santa clears. Clears. <laughs> <laughs> 